Hey, and welcome to this podcast by Chestnut Mountain Church, located in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where our mission is to saturate the world by making disciples. We invite you to check out our website at chestnutmountain.org and follow us on social on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at chestnutmtn underscore to learn more about who we are. There are also video episodes located on our YouTube channel, along with other content not on this podcast. This episode features a sermon replay from Sunday's message. Let's take a listen. This morning, I want to jump right back in. I want to share with you, um, last week, uh, I don't know about you, but I was so encouraged with the message that Jared brought last week about utilizing the power of the Holy Spirit and taking advantage of the resource that has been given to us as believers And I remember sitting and right when Jared was preaching, I I reached over and I tapped my wife and I said, and I was literally laughing because I told Chelsea, I said, I can't believe this. And I flipped to first Thessalonians chapter four, where I knew we were going today. And I said, I want you to read this verse. I said, next Sunday could not be set up any better than he's doing right now. And I would love to say that Jared and I sat in the office and we strategically mapped out this plan of how he was going to tee up this Sunday, but that's not at all what happened. I don't really think me and Jared are that smart, but I think I know the one who is. And the Holy Spirit of God spoke to Jared and what it was doing was setting us up for today. And so that's why I can stand today with boldness and confidence um, because believe me, with what we're gonna talk about today, I need boldness and confidence um, and you'll, you'll see why in just a minute. Uh, but what Jared shared last week was how the Christian, how the follower of Christ We've got to be sure that we're utilizing the spirit that has been giving to us. He encouraged us to take advantage. And if you remember, he talked about our prayer life and he said, we need to pray. Can you finish the blank? Until, until God speaks, until God moves. And we need to stay on our face in that relationship with him, waiting on the spirit of God to speak and to move. But what we're going to see today in first Thessalonians chapter four is that Paul is gonna expand on that idea, on that concept with these new believers. And so what Paul's wanting them to understand is now you have something living in you that allows you to overcome the temptations of this world. And so the way I kind of relate this to, if, if we're not using the power of the Holy Spirit, if we're not using the resources that God has given us, it's kind of like going to the gym and not working out. Don't you wish that we could just pay like our membership fee to the gym and just go to the gym and just sit there for a little while and then get up and leave and leave changed. Wouldn't that be amazing? We would all say, sign me up, but it doesn't matter. You can have the greatest equipment in the world. You can have the most beautiful gym in the world, but if you're not utilizing what's in the gym, you're not going to be changed. You're not going to be changed. It's kind of like having the the fanciest shower in the world and the greatest smelling soap in the world. If we go into that shower and we stand in there, we never turn the water on, we never use the soap, then we're never gonna be changed. We're never gonna be clean, but we've got all the resources, but we're just not using them. And so that's what Paul is gonna encourage these new believers at Thessalonica to do, is to take advantage of the resource that God has given you. And if you remember going back three weeks ago, the week before Easter, we introduced chapter four of 1 Thessalonians and and Paul revealed to these new believers 
what God's will was for their life. And we asked the question, how many of us would love to know what God's will is for our life? We would all wanna know that. Well, in black and white, in writing, it is right here in front of us in, in verse three of chapter four. For this is the will of God, that you be sanctified. The will of God is your sanctification. And so we, we, we talked a lot about that and we talked about what to be sanctified means or what sanctify means. And the definition of sanctify is to be set apart for the use intended by its designer. So here are these new believers, they've been saved by grace through faith, but what Paul also wants them to know is that you have been set apart to now be used by God. You've not only been saved by God, but now you're being set apart to be used by God. And according to verse eight, that we're gonna read here in just a moment, we're able to be used by God because of the gift that God has given us. And in verse eight, it tells us what that gift is, that God who gives the Holy Spirit to you. He's given us the resource we need. But the question is, are we utilizing it? Because we realize that even what Jared shared last week in John 15, five, Jesus says that apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. The Holy Spirit draws us. The Holy Spirit convicts us. The Holy Spirit saves us. The Holy Spirit molds and shapes us. And the Holy Spirit also sustains us. Without the Holy Spirit, without the power of God, we can do nothing. And that's exactly what Jesus tells us, that apart from him, we can do nothing. So verse eight, he says, look, I've given you this gift. Utilize it. I've given you this gift, utilize it. And that brings us to verses three and four. We're only gonna go through verse eight today, but I want you to read along with me and you'll see in just a moment why we need boldness and confidence in the word of God today. Verse three, we'll read it again. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is that you abstain from sexual immorality that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passions like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification." So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives the Holy Spirit to you. If you notice three times already, just in these six verses, we see that word sanctification. And so when we see something that often of that weight in that few of verses, it's something that we need to pay attention to. And what Paul is trying to do is simply to drive home the point that as a follower of Christ, you have been set apart and you've been called to be different. You've been set apart and you've also been called to be different. And that's what he mentions in verse four and five. He says there, you shouldn't be like the Gentiles. You shouldn't be like those who don't know God. And so he's telling us there, he said, look, if the world can't tell a difference in you as a follower of Christ and someone who does not love God, then there's a problem. If we align with the world, if we look like the world, 
then we've got major, major issues. But I believe as a follower of Christ, it's simply because we're not utilizing the power that has been given to us. We're not utilizing the sanctification power that the Holy Spirit gives us. Someone who does not know God lives a life influenced by their flesh. But someone who has been born again or knows God lives a life influenced by the spirit of God living in them. There's a difference. If we're being led by our flesh, we're gonna look completely different than the one who's being led by the spirit. If we're being led by the spirit, we should look totally different than someone who is being led by the flesh. Flip to the book of Romans. Romans chapter eight, verse five and six. This is exactly what we read. Romans chapter eight, verse five and six. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. Verse six, for the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. And so very clearly, There's a difference in those who are being led by the flesh and those who are being led by the spirit. And so I wanna pose a question. I wanna pose a question that I had to evaluate my own life and examine my own heart. Was very simple. Does the world see a difference in you? Does the world see a difference in you? And if we're all real honest, we could right now say, yeah, I'm at church. While all those other people are like, you know, on the couch or they're not up yet. But I'm at church. So yes, the world can tell a difference. But I want you to understand telling a difference is much bigger than a Sunday morning. Can the world tell a difference? Would the world be able to tell a difference if they saw you Friday night? Would the world be able to tell a difference if they saw you last night? Would the world be able to tell a difference if they saw you when that person cut you off on the road yesterday? (laughs) Not me. (laughs) Would the world be able to tell a difference if they could get behind your closed door? Would the world be able to tell a difference if we could plaster on this screen your website history? Would the world be able to tell a difference in the way you treat your spouse? Would the world be able to tell a difference in the way you act at your workplace? Is there enough evidence in your life that would testify that you're being led by the Spirit? And I can honestly say there's days that I feel pretty good about that. And there's, there's days that I feel like an absolute failure at that. Because there's some days that I don't know if there would be enough evidence that could be put before a jury to prove that I'm being led by the Spirit. But is there enough evidence? Is there a difference in what the world would see in you? And you know, one of the hardest truths for me to to grab a hold to this week as I was studying is that 
You know, the truth is, is we're gonna talk about this in just a moment, but we always have the potential to be influenced by our flesh. Believers and non-believers alike. We still have the ability to be influenced by our flesh. And, and for even the believer, when we face those moments of weakness, when we follow our flesh, do you realize in that small moment of time, we are choosing to live for ourselves over living for the one who saved us. You talk about something convicting. That in our flesh, we're very selfish people. But in those moments of weakness, we're choosing to live for ourselves over living for the one who gave his all for us. And this is not the life that, that God has called us to. This is not the life that Paul is challenging the church at Thessalonica to live by. Verse seven, he says, you're not called for the purpose of impurity, but for sanctification. You're not called to be impure. You're called to be sanctified. You're called to be set apart. And then what we're gonna look at now, Paul sort of lays it out for the church at Thessalonica. And he said, if you're truly being led by the spirit, if you're truly living a life, not according to your flesh, but according to the spirit, there's gonna be ways that you look different. There's gonna be ways that you act different. There's gonna be ways that you talk different. But what he's gonna do in, in all the way through like verse 12, I believe it is, is he's gonna kind of walk through some of these characteristics. He's gonna keep some things on tab so that they will realize, okay, if I'm being led by the Spirit, then this is the way that I should look. If I'm being led by the Spirit, here should be evidence of that. And so I want you to read with me in verse three and four. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel, in sanctification and honor. So the very first way that Paul tells the church at Thessalonica that they are to look different is that they are to abstain from sexual immorality. Now, when we talk about sexual immorality that comes from the, the Greek word pornea, which is where we get the word, you guessed it, pornography, but in that definition comes adultery, comes fornication, comes homosexuality, comes bestiality. But in short, what sexual immorality means, listen to this, it's very easy to understand. It's anything sexual outside of God's design for sex. It's that simple. And look, I know you're probably as, much, as awkward and uncomfortable as I am right now. What many of you don't, don't know, four and a half years ago, when I stood here to preach for the very first time, this little team that God had put together here was preaching through the book of Ephesians. My first Sunday, guess what I got to preach about? Sexual immorality. Praise God. So we got baptized by fire on that Sunday. So here we are, full circle moment. But what you have to understand is that sexual immorality is anything outside of the sexual relationship that God created. Anything outside that, the way that God created it. And the way God created it 
was for the confines of marriage between a man and a woman. That's it. There is no gray area. There is nothing up for question. There is nothing to work out and figure out. It's very simple because according to Genesis chapter two, verse 24, you don't have to turn there. I'll just read it. According to Genesis chapter two, 24, for this is the reason that a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. I don't have to explain how the two become one flesh. That is an impossibility in the ways that our world is teaching it. So marriage is for the confines of marriage between a man and a woman, the way that God designed it. And look, I know people get upset when they hear this preached. But the beautiful part is, is I want you to know, I love you enough to speak that truth. And we can't shy away from this. We can't tickle people's ears with this just because they want to hear it. Because the reality is, is if you're a follower of Christ, the word of God is offensive because it calls us to live different than our flesh. And if it's not this, it's something else. But I don't understand why we don't have the boldness to talk about this. So anything sexual outside of God's design for marriage is sexual immorality. So number one, he gave it to the married couples as a blessing. But then he also gave it to the married couples to do what he commanded, what he told Adam and Eve. Be fruitful and multiply. Me and my wife have got that down. We got kids everywhere. So praise God, I'm obedient. See, I can't, you you knew we had to go there at some point. But I know you may be asking the question of all the things that Paul could have talked about. Of all the things, of all the sin that Paul could have talked about, why did Paul find it important to talk about sexual immorality first? That's where we have to know the context of of what was going on. And what was going on is sexual immorality was running rampant in the Roman Empire. It had gotten completely out of control. And he knew that the temptation of the believers, that this is the lifestyle that they were saved from and delivered from, and he knew they still had to wrestle with their flesh, and he knew that the world was gonna try to pull them back in, so he was trying to warn them of what he knew was gonna be probably the biggest temptation that was gonna be in front of their face. And you may have the question, well, how out of control was it? How out of control was sexual immorality in Rome? And this is a sad reality. You wanna know how out of control it is or how out of control it was? If you wanna get a glimpse of it, just turn your TV on. Just turn your TV on. It never fails and it's always heartbreaking that you get into like these Netflix series and you're like, man, this is gonna be really good. And then all of a sudden, Here has to come some model of adultery. Here has to come some reference to homosexuality. Here has to come some reference to transgenders. And because our 
world is trying to appease to the world. And if you want to know how sick Rome was, just turn your TV on because we're aligning exactly with what was going on. So I believe if Paul could be here with us this morning, he would probably speak to a room just like this and tell you, number one, abstain from sexual immorality. Abstain from sexual immorality. And Paul is warning them, don't mess with it. Because you realize that the marriage, the unity of marriage is the model of the relationship between Christ and the church. And if the enemy can destroy the marriage, then he's destroying the example that God has placed for the world to see. And guess how he does it? Sexual immorality. And so Paul tells them, stay away from it. Stay away from it, run from it. And so the reason that Paul speaks to this first is because it was the most prevalent sin that was running its course through the Rome. And I believe the same is probably holding true to our culture now. And so we see the first thing that Paul said, the way that they should look different is to abstain from sexual immorality. The second one is this. Possess their own vessel in sanctification and honor. Now, when I read that, I was a little bit kind of, what? Possess his own vessel. So I began to look at other versions and I came across what the, the NIV says. And it says this, each of you should learn how to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. You see, Paul knew that the church at Thessalonica had been set apart, but he also knew in order for them to be an example, in order for them to live a life that was set apart, they were going to have to learn how to control their own body. They were gonna have to learn how to live self-controlled. They were gonna have to learn how to, to keep, this, keep the reins on things. But what he also knows, this, this is what brings us back to what we mentioned earlier. This is where it ties it into what Jared shared last week so clearly. He's encouraging them, the only way that you can control yourself, the only way that you can abstain from sexual immorality is to use the resource that God has given you. And that's the Holy Spirit living in you. We're weak people in our flesh. We're weak people in this body. But the same power that is living in us is the same power that resurrected our Savior from the grave. And if he can overcome death, he can overcome any temptation. And we have access to that power. That power is living inside of you. And that's what Paul wants these new believers to know. He says, look, you've got it. And here's where the big misconception comes. And I want you to hear this this morning, especially if you're a new believer. At salvation, the temptation does not go away. But we now have been given the power to overcome it. So many of us, even as believers, we feel that like when we're tempted we feel like when we're being lured in that all of, all, of, all of a sudden we become sinners 
But the reality is, is we're all tempted every single day. So when you're saved by grace through faith, the temptations do not go away, but we now have the Holy Spirit of God living in us that gives us the power to overcome the very things that we used to be held in chains by. That is what is living in us, is the resurrection power of this Holy Spirit. And so Paul knew that these new believers were gonna continue to be tempted, but he also knew that they had been set apart He also knew they needed to control their body, but he knew that that was an impossibility outside the power of the Holy Spirit. And so he's encouraging them, take advantage of what you've been given. But here's another topic that we don't like to talk about when it comes to Christianity. For us to be self-controlled, for us to possess our own body, it takes discipline. We don't like to talk about discipline when it comes to Christianity. Yeah, we'll talk about discipline when it comes to a diet. We'll talk about discipline when it comes to to working out. We'll talk about discipline when it comes to our job. We'll talk about discipline when it comes to sports. But we better not mention discipline when it comes to Christianity. But you see, the truth is, is when we talk about all those things we just mentioned, a diet, a working out, sports, a job, we know that we've gotta be disciplined to pursue those accomplishments. We've gotta be disciplined in order to chase after the the, the aim that we have in front of us, to be successful, to lose weight, to get stronger, to climb the corporate ladder to success. We've gotta be disciplined to achieve all of those things. But why are we afraid to talk about being disciplined when the Bible clearly tells us to pursue righteousness and holiness? You can't sit and just pray and just hope that you're going to find holiness and righteousness. You've got to be disciplined to pursue it. You've got to be disciplined to chase after it. And yeah, there's going to be times that that discipline is going to interrupt your schedule. You know, I've never been more proud. I know I, I, I pick and poke at Cooper a lot. But the men are, are reading a book together. And to watch my little 12-year-old, 13-year-old, he just turned 13, good gracious. To watch him be so disciplined and have an alarm set on his phone to remind him to read. And to watch him sit with this book. And he tells me, he says, Daddy, I'm a slow reader. We've only got to read 12 pages a day, but it takes me forever. (laughs) So what he's been disciplined enough to do is he says, I'm going to read six pages in the morning and I'm going to read six pages at night. And on the way to church, just a minute ago, he goes, I got a bunch of reading to do. I forgot yesterday. (laughs) So if you don't see Cooper, that's where he's at all afternoon, probably reading his 13 pages. But it takes discipline to pursue the things of God. It takes discipline to live this lifestyle. And in Galatians 2.20, you can turn there if you want to. You don't have to, but if you want to, it'd be great. Um, But in Galatians chapter two, verse 20, many of you know this verse by heart. Probably you've read it, you've heard it. 
But this is what a disciplined life looks like. Galatians 2.20, Paul says this, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Nobody understood discipline more than Paul. Paul knew that he had to be disciplined to pursue holiness, to pursue righteousness. But what we've got to do as believers is we've got to stop being fearful of the word discipline when it comes to our Christianity and our relationship with Jesus Christ. You have to be disciplined in your relationships at home. You have to be disciplined in your relationships at work. So why don't we like to talk about being disciplined with our relationship with the Savior? And so we have to be disciplined when it comes to chasing after the things of God. We have to be disciplined in pursuing righteousness. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. And this is the last passage we're gonna turn to. Second Timothy chapter two, verse 22. Paul's telling the young Timothy, he tells him this. Now flee from youthful lust. And here's that discipline. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So what Paul's telling Timothy is essentially the same message that he's telling the believers at Thessalonica. He's telling them what to run from, but he's also telling them what to run to. And so as a follower of Christ, as a believer, what we must do is yes, we must abstain from sexual immorality. We must learn to possess our own vessel, control our own bodies. But we also must remember that we're also to flee from youthful lust. Now, youthful lust is much bigger than the sexual talk. Youthful lust is much bigger than that. Youthful lust is anything that is impure of this world. Youthful lust is any desire of our flesh. Now, we could all go around this room and we could share what our youthful lusts are. We could all go around this room and we could all share the desires of our flesh. And every one of us would have something different. We would all have a different desire of the flesh. But it doesn't matter what your flesh is desiring. What Paul is reminding Timothy of, what he's reminding the church at Thessalonica of, he says to flee from your youthful lust. Flee from the desires of your flesh. Make sure you're running from the desires of your flesh. Look, if you know anything about me, I hate snakes, like despise them. 
And I've always made the joke, if I was Adam in the garden, that we wouldn't be in the shape we were in because I would have killed the snake right when I saw him. And then I had a student one time raise his hand. He goes, but Brian, fear didn't exist yet. You super spiritual kid, you just ruined my analogy. But I hate snakes. I would literally rather flip over a rock and a bear be laying there than a snake. I hate them. And so if I enter into a room that is full of snakes, you know what this guy is gonna do? I'm gonna scream and I'm gonna sound like a little girl running. Because in my mind, there's nothing more dangerous than a snake. I hate them, I despise them. But if I walk on into the room where these snakes are, and I begin poking, I've been prodding, and I begin to mess with them, and I begin to do all this stuff, and all of a sudden I got bit. Whose fault is that? It's mine. Thank you. Because I walked in the room, I messed with what I'm fearful of. I've messed the very thing that I know I'm supposed to flee from. So how in the world can we walk into a room, walk into any environment, and the Holy Spirit convicts us of the danger that's in front of us, and we don't run, but we continue to mess with it, and then we wanna wonder why we get bit. That's where we have to be disciplined. That's where we have to be disciplined. The Holy Spirit of God reveals the danger. But once the Holy Spirit of God reveals the danger, then we've got to rely on his strength to remove ourselves from the equation. This is where we have to flee from that youthful lust. The reason I got bit by the snake, I didn't really, but the reason I would have if I'd have gone into the room is because I didn't avoid the danger. I didn't avoid the danger. And I know that a lot of us, you say, well, not, but Brian, I know, but you're saying that this spirit of God is so powerful in us that we should be able to walk in anywhere and be able to overcome. And yes, we are more than conquerors. But can I tell you that there is a battle going on. And if we continue to be around something, our flesh is going to be drawn to it. And all of a sudden, the louder our flesh gets, the quieter the voice of God gets. And what we do in those moments of weakness is we listen to our flesh rather than listening to the spirit of God. And before you know it, remember We've chose to live for our flesh over the one who saved us. And this is why Paul is saying, flee from youthful lust. Don't mess with it. Stay away from it. So what are your youthful lusts? What are they? You already know your mind is already spinning. Is it that computer? Is that the desire of your flesh? Is it prescription drugs? Is that the desire of your flesh? Is alcohol your youthful lust? Is it certain people? Are certain people influencing you? And I was praying this morning as I was going over this and I don't know why I wrote it down in the margin. And 
Some of you need to flee from that coworker before you lose your marriage. Somebody needs to flee from that person at the gym before you lose your marriage. You step in a room of vipers and you're eventually gonna get bit. And it's gonna cost you your home. It's gonna cost you your children. And this is why Paul says, run. Flee from youthful lust. But man, there's such security in what that word flee literally means. You wanna hear what it means? It means to seek safety. To seek safety. If a tornado, we got word that one was coming right down Highway 53, what would you do? You'd seek safety. You would flee. What we are called to do as believers of Jesus Christ is to respond the very same way when we see danger approaching. Don't stand here and just go, well, we're just gonna see what happens. It's not gonna turn out so well. And once that danger makes its way through, guess what ends up you're left with? Destruction. Destruction. So seek safety from whatever your youthful lusts are. Take advantage of this Holy Spirit living in within you. As the Holy Spirit convicts you, surrender to that conviction. And when the Holy Spirit tells you to get out, when the Holy Spirit tells you to flee, be disciplined enough to listen. Be disciplined enough to listen. Run from the danger. When the Holy Spirit convicts you, he's also given you the power to overcome it. But a lot of times the power to overcome it is remove yourself from it. You know, the best example that we have is the example that, that Jesus, when he was tempted, if you know he was in the garden, I mean, he was being tempted in the wilderness by Satan. And we know what happened. Every time he was tempted, how would he battle? How would he battle? It is written. He would say, it is written. Now the temptation didn't go away. The enemy continued to tempt. But we know Jesus being the perfect lamb of God, he never sinned. And so here's what I wanna leave you with this morning. As you're tempted this afternoon, as you're tempted this week at your workplace, as you're tempted this week at home, I want you to battle with the word of God. 
The Holy Spirit's gonna convict you. But I also want you to learn to battle with the word of God because I believe when we speak the word of God, the Holy Spirit comes to life. Psalms 46, verse one. God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth should change and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake as it is swelling pride. And so what I wanna encourage you to do this week, maybe you write this verse on the inside of your hand. Maybe you write it on your mirror. Or here's an idea, just hide the word of God in your heart. And when you face temptation, because hear me, you're going to face temptation. It's that simple. Every person in this room, this afternoon, before you lay your head on your pillow tonight, you will face temptation. But I encourage you that when that temptation comes, you call out, God is my refuge and my strength a very present help in trouble. Can I tell you, if you announce that word of God to the enemy, the whole situation changes. It doesn't mean that he's gonna take off running. It doesn't mean the temptation's gonna automatically go away. But now all of a sudden what's happening is you're speaking life into a situation. You're saying that God is my refuge and my strength and he's my help. I remember at a youth conference when I was in high school, a guy spoke that verse and he was talking about temptation. And of course we were all teenagers so he was having the whole sexual immorality talk. And he said, a lot of times what the power of the word of God does. He said, it's like a boyfriend and girlfriend being in the heat of the moment. And then all of a sudden, daddy walks in. Changes everything, don't it? She ain't pretty no more. You fleeing. But you see, that's the power of the word of God. When you're faced with that temptation, when you walk in the house and that computer, it's almost like it's just glowing, looking at you, inviting you in. Or when that coworker approaches you in the lobby at your office tomorrow, you don't have to announce it, you don't have to yell it out, but I can promise you, if you will declare God is my refuge and my strength, he's my very present help in time of trouble everything will change because all of a sudden you remember the savior. But I wonder here this morning, number one, the only way that you have access to the power of the spirit is to place your faith in Jesus Christ. Just as you saw Justin make a profession a moment ago, he was saved two weeks ago. 
because the Holy Spirit of God drew him to himself. He repented of his sins and he believed. And I, sometimes I wish you could have the view that I have. And as you see a young man with tears rolling down his face because of the presence of the Holy Spirit living in him. Some of you today, you need to repent. You need to trust God and trust in the forgiveness of your sins that he provided by the way of the cross. And in that moment of trust, remember, God gives you the Holy Spirit. And so if you've never placed your faith in Jesus today, we've been praying that today is that day. But on a broader picture, there's somebody in this room, many in this room, who you're a victim of your youthful lust because you've not been disciplined enough to flee from it. You keep walking in the room over and over and over again and you keep getting bit. But you know how we're wired in our flesh when we get bit, and this is not in the notes, so I don't even know where I'm going right now. But anytime that we live for our flesh, there's a lot of consequences that have to be paid. But you know who we so quickly get mad at when we have to pay the consequences of our own sin? We get mad at God. God, how did you let this happen? He's saying, I didn't. I convicted you. My spirit spoke to you, but you weren't disciplined enough to run. So the consequences you're paying, they're on you now, but I'm still never gonna leave you. I'm still never gonna forsake you. I'm gonna walk with you through it. I don't know about you, but that is humbling that in spite of our consequences, despite of the fruits of our sin, God still says, I'm gonna be with you. But this morning, I wonder how many believers in the room that you know for a fact that you're still giving in to those youthful lusts. As we open this altar, as we give a response time this morning, I want you to come and I want you to pray, God, give me the strength, give me the courage, Give me the discipline to pursue holiness and righteousness. Give me the discipline to proclaim the word. God, you are my refuge and my strength. That's you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you made a decision or if you have any questions about salvation or anything about this Christian journey, one of our pastors would love to connect with you. So to connect and find out what your next steps are, go to our website at chestnutmountain.org slash next steps, and there will be a form for you to fill out so one of our pastors can connect with you. We also want you to do three things right now. Number one, leave a review on this podcast. Tell us what you think. And also a review allows us to reach even more people. Number two, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already so you don't miss an episode during the week. 
And number three, we want you to go check out our Chestnut Mountain Church YouTube channel. So maybe there's some visuals in this episode that you couldn't see but wanted to see. And that's why we have video versions of these episodes along with other content not featured on this podcast right now on our YouTube channel. Lastly, we invite you to join us live for worship on Sunday mornings in person at 9 o'clock or 1045 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or online at 1045 as well. Learn more about us on our website at chestnutmountain.org. And don't forget to follow us on social at chestnutmtn underscore for more encouragement and to see all what God is doing in and through CMC. We love you, we're praying for you, and we'll see you next time.